Yes, and good morning again. Third time. Third time you've seen me already. This is going to be a longer time. It's going to be a longer time. But we're so glad that you're here today, and, and I'm glad you've come. You, you surprised me today. Um, I didn't know what kind of crowd. Judy said, you know, she's down, by the way, in Murray, and uh, Dave's on vacation, in case you're wondering. And uh, so anyway, and so, like, you know, she said, you probably a smaller crowd, you know. And uh, by the way, she's watching from Murray, and Nan Franks is watching all the way from the Bahamas this morning. And uh, so, yeah, she have a smaller crowd. But guess what? We didn't have a smaller crowd. You guys showed up, and we're so glad that you did. And just from my heart, I just told Trey, I really appreciate the team today, the praise. Didn't they do a great job? Didn't they really? Amen. Yeah. Trey was sharing with me that it's been four years since we sang that last song. And it was just so appropriate for um, today. So yay, yay. And then sitting on the back row back yonder is our new secretary. Her name is Barbara. And her, and her husband and son are back there with them. And uh, we are very glad to have you with us today. Now I need to tell you um, that they're Lutheran. But I told her not to worry because we're just like Lutherans. You won't even be able to tell the difference. Not. But anyway, I think you'll survive, Barbara. I think you'll survive. Anyway, uh, there's not a Lutheran church in town. I think you guys said you're going to Methodist church. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I thought. But we're so glad to have her on team and also have her in worship today. All right, so here we are today at the showdown at the OK Corral. It was October the 26th, 1881, in Tombstone that there was a showdown at the OK Corral. It was a rough town, and there wasn't a whole lot of law going on, um, but they had the Earp Brothers and Doc Holliday, and then, a, then some, some ruffians rode into town, and they were the Clandons and the McLarry Gang. And they show up, and they're causing trouble. There's bad blood anyway. There's bad blood between these two groups of folks. And so finally, the Earp Brothers and, and Doc Holliday decide to go down to the OK Corral, and they run in. And we're not sure who fired their first shot, but the bottom line is there was a shootout. It lasted a mere 30 seconds, and 30 rounds were fired in that 30 seconds. And the good guys won. And the good guys won. And that's what we have today. That is so appropriate for our sermon today is that there is a showdown. No, no, it's not the OK Corral, but it's Mount Carmel. Then for our guests, we're in the midst of a study about Elijah and his, his growth in faith and, and trusting God. And so we want to continue that story today. And we find ourselves on Mount Carmel confronting all the prophets of Baal. Now, just for a little bit of background information, you remember um, last week we talked about, you know, that Elijah had finally confronted Ahab. God had sent him into hiding. Then he brings him out and told, told him to go confront Ahab. And he does exactly, he does exactly that. And so, so as they're sitting there, you know, talking, you know, Elijah walks over to the people of God and says, and asks this question. You remember what the question is? Ask this question. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to try to decide who you're going to worship? What a great question. And then he answers and says this. He says, listen, if the Lord God is God... Follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And do you remember what the people said? That would be nothing. 
They stood there and looked at Elijah and did not say a single word. You remember the quote from last week? It said this, All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And then I brought it home to us. I said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good churches to do nothing. And then we heard a quote from Harvey Cox, a a teacher who simply said this, not to decide is to decide. So, So after that, after that, um, then we have, you know, Elijah showing up. And basically, you know, he says, he says, you know what? I'm the only one who's standing for God. I'm the only prophet standing for God. And yet there are 450 prophets of Baal. And like our slide says, it's a showdown between the good guys and the bad. And Baal, you and your cronies had better watch out because there's a new sheriff in town. And it is not Elijah. Can we be clear? It is not Elijah, it is Jehovah God. Well, as the people stand there looking at Elijah, not saying a word, so Elijah says this to them, well, why don't we do this? Let's have a showdown. Let's have a shootout. Here's what we will do. We'll take two bulls, and we'll give one to the prophets of Baal, and give one to me, God's prophet. We'll build two altars, then we'll slaughter the bulls and put them on the altar. And the God who calls down fire, that will be God. And the people said, that sounds good, that's fine. That's good, that's fine. So we we have this set up for the showdown. We We have two deities. I didn't know how to word that properly because there's really only one, uh, the one true God, but I had to to get both of them up there. You see see the difference? There's a God with a small g, and then there's the God, capital G. There's the false God, Baal, who really is no God at all, and then there's God Almighty, Jehovah God. And they are not the same. They're not even the same ballpark. They're not even the same definition. Over in, in Psalm 115, there's a great scripture, and it starts out with the psalmist saying this, um, Not for us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. That's what Elijah's saying. Give glory to yourself. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, for why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does what he pleases. I like that. He's... <laughs> He he is a God who refuses to be pushed around by someone. He's a God who refuses to be bullied by someone. He does what he pleases. And then the psalmist goes on and describes that little G God. That's what he says. Their idols are made of silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. They have feet, feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their 
throat. Those who make them are like them. In other words, we create gods in our own image. So is everyone who trusts in them. Two gods, but totally different. There are two sides. See, we want to think, though, there's three. We want to say you're for or you're against and there's something in the middle. The only problem is that's not true, at least from the things of God. You're either for or against. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, listen to what he said, anyone, someone say anyone. Yeah, yeah, anyone. Get this. Anyone who, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working with me. Against me. So you need to understand. Imagine yourself on that on that mount that day, and here are the two groups. You know, Elijah's group number one, and then everybody else is group number two. There, listen, there is no middle ground. Now listen, that was true that day, and it's true this day. In, in, a, in a world where the culture is so crazy and, and we're almost, we've almost just, like we're being swayed by culture. You know, whatever's politically correct is what we do. We need to understand, politically correct or not, there is a God in heaven. And if you are a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, he must be your God. There is no room in the middle. And we also have two altars. If you look in the scripture, and I'm obviously telling the story today up to a certain point, but if you look in those scriptures, you'll see the altar of Baal is just barely mentioned. It was no deal. And yet we find out that, that the altar of the Jehovah God is a big deal. Where, you know, Baal is staged left, and, and the altar of the holy God is front and center stage. You're going to see that today. And then there's two bulls, two sacrifices. One, one is destined for worship, and one is destined for waste. And we need to decide today in our lives, you know, with our sacrifices, will they be destined for worship and commitment to holy God, or will they be destined for waste? What Jesus said, silver and gold cankers here, but we can send it forward to a place called heaven. Well... Elijah finally says, okay, so tell you what, boys, talking to the Baal's boys, okay? Hey, Baal's boys, tell you what, why don't you all go first? Why don't you go first? Now, this is so strategic, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But you go ahead and go first. There's so many of you and only me, you guys go first. And so, so Baal's boys, they, they, they build their altar, they set their altar up, and they slaughter the bull, um, and, and they put the bull on there with the wood, and they start praying. Because remember, the God who calls down fire is really a God. So they're saying, oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, oh, Baal, call down fire. Oh, Baal, oh, Baal. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. So they ramp it up. And it's funny because the scripture is very clear. This is a like phase two of worship for them. You know, they're, they're pleading with Baal to do something. And then the Bible says, and then they began to dance around the altars. Like phase two. If, if phase one didn't get Baal's attention, we'll move on to phase two. And they do this 
dancing around the altar. And what's really weird, and I don't know what this means, okay? But, but the, the Hebrew word literally translates to be hobbled. To hobble. I'm not sure what that's about, but I do know this. It was a different level. Well, it's about noon now. It started sometime probably around 9 o'clock. So they've been going, for, telling me about a long sermon. They're going for three hours, and nothing happens. So Elijah, in verse number 27, decides to chide them. You really need to read verse 27 when you get home. Read it in several translations because it's quite interesting. But the bottom line is, you know, Elijah says, hey, listen, maybe, you know, we know, <laughs> we know Baal is a God. Maybe he's deaf. Aren't you glad you don't have a deaf God? Aren't you glad you serve a God that when we cry out, he hears? Baal didn't. Maybe he's indecisive. Maybe he just can't make up his mind. Maybe he's one of those squirrels that we talked about last week who gets in the middle of the road and can't decide this way or that way. Maybe Bell's up there going, you know, I don't know if I want to help him or not. Aren't you glad you don't serve an indecisive God? Aren't you glad today you serve a decisive God? He decided to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to a Roman cross that people like me and you could be forgiven of their sins. He made a strategic and decisive decision that we could be redeemed. How about that? He's abs- maybe he's absent-minded. You know, forgetful. Oops! <laughs> Forgot about that. Aren't you glad we have a God who never forgets? He's never absent-minded. Uh, maybe, he's, maybe he's occupied. Maybe he's busy doing something else. Aren't you glad you serve a God who's never busy doing something else? That when you're in a crisis, he is there. When you're praying, he is there. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he is there. That's just the kind of God that he is. Or maybe, maybe he's napping. Well, after Elijah's little prodding, they ramp it up again. And the Bible talks about that they had this thing called a bloody, what I call a bloody mess. And it's really weird because the Bible says that they begin, they begin cutting themselves, as is their tradition. In other words, it's part of their worship to wound and cut themselves. So, so they begin cutting themselves. And the Bible also says they take spears and begin gouging themselves with this. That's what false worship does when you worship a false god. It's painful. It hurts. And it's worthless. Well, no matter what they did, nothing happened. They're hollering, they're dancing, they're cutting, they're stabbing, and nothing happens. You know, there's an old saying, and our first service crowd's a little bit older than this crowd, and, and I used the, 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 the saying, you can't get blood out of a turn, turnip, you know, You can't get anything out of a false God either. Now now listen, you need to hear this, okay? America is, the landscape of America is is scattered with false gods. You know, um, materialism, prestige and power, um, those kind of things. What what we drive and what we, where we live and what we wear. um, Like I say, the power. Those gods will never satisfy you. No matter what you try to find, you won't find it in a false god. 
So what's our teaching point? Our teaching point is this. Empty worship of an empty God can only yield empty results. That's it. America today, our culture today, and so many of us, we, we somehow got distracted somewhere along the way and, and, and we're finding it, having to relearn, those of you in, in the church, but our culture is learning, wait, 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 this isn't working. We're selling out to, to an empty worship, to an empty God, and our hands are coming up empty. That's the way it works. So then we're going to jump in now to 1 Kings 18.29, and now we'll use the scripture as our guide rather than storytelling. So the Bible says, all afternoon. Somebody say, all afternoon. This was a really long sermon. Okay? So all afternoon, they kept on raving. They kept on raving. And here it is. Until the offering of the evening sacrifice. See, in Jewish culture, they have many sacrifices. But in Jewish culture, there was a morning sacrifice... And there was an evening sacrifice. And we know from several things that the evening sacrifice occurred around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Josephus, the Jewish historian, made a very clear point that the evening sacrifice was around 3 o'clock. So, so it's time, what Elijah is telling us, all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. He's saying it's time for God to show up. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. Do you remember the cross story? Do you remember Jesus hangs on the cross and it gets dark? And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It can't be an accident. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he cries out, Eli! Eli, Labas, the back to nine, my God, my God! Why have you forsaken me? He dies. About the time of the evening sacrifice. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John, Jesus is ascending back in heaven, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple, guess what time? Yep, about 3 o'clock. About 3 o'clock. They're going down for the evening sacrifice. And this is when they, they run into, they, they see this man who's been crippled since birth. And he says, you know, silver and gold we don't have, but such as we have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. All about the time of the evening sacrifice. See, it wasn't an accident. Elijah was so wise and so strategic. Yeah, y'all can go first because I want to offer my sacrifice at the time of the evening sacrifice. Well, the Bible says it all. Uh, there was no sound. Uh, no one answered. And no one paid attention. And then in verse number 30, the first part, then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. Now I think this is significant. If you remember correctly, when when, G, when Elijah was saying, you know, how long will you waver between two opinions? He had to go to them. He, the Bible's clear. He walks over to them and asks that question. And then poses the answer, if the Lord God is God, serve him. If it's Baal, then serve him. This time, do you see something different? Elijah said to all the people, come near me. And so all the people approached him. What's the difference? 
I'll tell you what the difference is. Over here is a wet, soggy, bloody altar with a bunch of bloody, slain prophets of Baal. And they look at that, and they look at the man of God. And the man of God says, now come to me. And all of a sudden, mm, mm, all of a sudden what seemed to be so attractive before is very unattractive. And they're drawn to the man of God. And this is the first step. This is the first step of them coming home and back to God. It's very, very strong. Very strong. So in the second part of verse number 30, the Bible says, So Elijah repairs the altar of God. He repairs the altar of God. You know, see, in the days of Elijah that we live in, and the days of Elijah he lived in, it was important that he keep the main thing the main thing. That altar represented the sacrifice for God. It was the main thing. And folks, the days that we're living in, we have got to keep the main thing the main thing. We have got to keep Jesus, not our denomination, not whatever title you wear. It's not about Dorisville. It's about Jesus. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. So the Bible says that he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Well, well, first off, who built the altar? Well, most theologians agree that, that there was a remnant of people. See, not everyone in Israel worshipped Baal. See, God always has a people. That's a good place for an amen. God always has a people. And God had a remnant of people who would still build altars to the one true God. And I can bet, I reckon you can guess who tore it down, the prophets of Baal. You know, he says over in 1 Kings chapter 19, 10, Elijah does. Later on, he says, they've torn down the law, you know, talking about the prophets of Baal. They've torn down the Lord's altars. But Elijah chooses to repair it. Now, now watch how he repairs it. This is so significant. He repairs it by reminding them. He repairs it by reminding them. Look at verse number 31 and 32a. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. He took 12 stones. Now, why is that so unusual? Well, after the death of Solomon, okay, the, the nation of Israel became, listen to my word, politically divided. Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites chose to follow the descendants of David. The other ten chose to follow whatever. All right? So it's unique. What, why is it so unique then? Elijah is calling to their remembrance that even though the nation is politically divided, it's time to come back together. Even though the nation is politically divided, it's time to come back together. So he takes not ten stones representing the, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, he takes twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel will be your name. That's what they do. That's what he does. Brothers and sisters, we have allowed things to divide us. 
We allowed COVID to divide us. We allowed that four by six piece of cloth to divide us. I've been to pastor's conferences. I've read emails. I've read sites. I've read blogs. It was not a Dorsville issue. It was a church issue. And Satan used that COVID to divide the church. We allowed politics to divide us. Wherever you stand in the political arena, that's fine. I vote every, every election. But I'm telling you, telling you, we must not let anything divide us. Our differences of opinion. For goodness sake, don't you reckon we could agree to disagree? This country needs Jesus. And as long as we are divided, we cannot present a strong front in the name of Jesus Christ to bring revival. Don't let, don't let, don't let anything divide the church. And again, it's not a Dorsal statement. It's a, it's a church statement. Well, then, in verse 32a, so he built an altar with the stones, with the 12 stones. He built the altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. And then he has something kind of unusual in verse 32b, okay, and 33a. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold four gallons, and that's like four gallons of seed. It really wasn't a liquid measure. It was a solid measure. But he built this trench. So... Why did he do the trench? Okay, if you're taking notes, write down doubt remover. Doubt remover. See, he knew this. He knew that when this was all done, first off, he had no doubt. Somebody say no doubt. He, he had no doubt God was going to do it. He had no God, no doubt God was going to show up. He had no doubt that God was going to do exactly what he said. But he wants to make sure that the people over here are now standing with him have no doubt. So what he did does is he puts this trench around, okay, to make it seemingly harder, more power for God to do what he's going to do. So he puts he puts these trenches, and then he arranges the wood, cuts up the bull, and places it on the on the wood. Then here's what he does. Here's, here's the doubt. Watch this. In verse 33b and 35, he says, he said, Now, I want you to fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Now, if you're, if you're wanting a fire, you don't pour water on it, right? Except for when God's the igniter. Somebody say amen. Yeah. See, if we live... <laughs> If religion's the igniter, well, if church is the igniter, if doing better is the igniter, okay, if keeping the rules is the igniter, we're all a big pile of mess. So he takes this and dumps four water on it. But then, then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He wasn't done. They said, and then, and then do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Now watch, 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 watch. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the doubt remover with water. Wow. How, in, how, how incredible is that? Here's our teaching point. The saturation of water three times confirms that 
Say it with me. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. How did he reach that conclusion? How, how, did, he, how did he have the boldness? How did he have the boldness to, to say, dump water on it, dump water on it, dump water, when, when over here is Baal and they couldn't get a spark? It all started at the brook Cherah, where God sent ravens to feed him bread and meat, and the brook didn't run dry, and he had water and he had food. And every day, twice a day, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. And, and then God sent him to, to Zarephath, where there was a widow lady who had nothing. And, and God said, okay, you know, if, you, if she'll trust you, her pot will not run dry. There will be meal and there will be oil. So sure enough, for the whole three and a half years, you know, they would go there and there would be meal and there would be oil and she made bread. And there would be meal and oil and she made bread. There would be meal and oil and she made bread. And they learned that God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And then her son dies. And Elijah prays. He says, oh God, prove that you're God. And God did. He raised that little boy, that young man from the dead. And he proved God is good, God's faithful, and God can be trusted. So he knows it's going to happen. He's not afraid to pour a little water on the sacrifice. He's not afraid to fill the, tr- the trench with water because he believes God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. So then, in verse 36, here it is again. At the time for the offering, the evening sacrifice. For the time for offering, the evening sacrifice. Three o'clock. The same time that Jesus cried out. The same time that Peter and John was able to heal the man by outside of church. The same time Elijah approaches the altar. Do you think he was afraid? Do you think he was doubtful? No, no, no. He approached that altar with confidence, and he was not afraid. And I want to tell you something. This is one of the verses that spoke to my heart this week. You know, it's Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Aren't you glad that, that because of the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial death of Christ and, and our faith and trust in Him, isn't it amazing that we can come to the throne of God with boldness? Now, you know, we don't have to worry about you know, God saying, eh, I changed my mind about you. Oops, too many failures. Mm-mm. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. Now, he approached the altar with boldness. And here's what he said. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today... Right now, today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done these things. In other words, hey God, this is all about you. When's the church going to learn it's got to be all about God? It can't be about the preacher's personality. It can't be about the worship leader's personality. It can't be about, well, I want this or I want that. It has got to be about God. It has got to be about God. Again, I said it before, not denomination, you know, not traditions. It has to be about God. Lord, Lord, let it happen. 
Okay, so, so they'll know that there's a God in Israel. In verse number 37, he, he, he shouts it out. Lord, you know, answer me, Lord. Answer me. So that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you. Answer me, Lord. Remember I told you that when Elijah prayed for the, um, for the boy to be brought back to life. Remember I told you we've got to pray big prayers? We've got to pray bold prayers. If we expect God to turn culture around, if, if he expects us, you know, if we expect God to turn our marriages around, our families around, our grandchildren, our children, um, you know, whatever it is, if we expect God, we've got to pray bold prayers. Now, I really need your attention because I'm fixing to say something that you could go home and put on Facebook if you don't hear me right. Y'all know I do a lot of the call-outs. 99.9% of the time, what's it about? Sickness. Sickness. Hear me. This is why I want you to hear me clearly. We must pray about sickness. But the problem is, it's become the only thing we pray about. We don't pray for our country. We don't pray for our land. I don't get a call out that says, could we pray for our country today? I didn't even get a call out that said, could we pray for the folks in Texas today? Praying for the sick is essential and right. But we have got to pray bigger than that. We've got to pray bolder than that. The truth is, if we didn't pray for sickness, most of us have nothing to pray about. Andy Stanley said this, Andy Stanley said, if you quit praying today, if, if this morning or yesterday was your last prayer, how would the world be different? If you stop praying today, how would the world be different? We've got a bold God. we just got to be willing to pray bold prayers. Keep praying for the sick, but be willing to pray bold prayers. For our country, for our church, for your staff, for those of you know who are lost, those who are going through a hurtful time, a broken marriage, and a broken heart. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and you have turned their hearts back. It was all about God. And finally, here it comes. Here comes the, here comes the response in verse number 38. Then the Lord's fire fell. Elijah had no doubt it was going to happen. I do believe it may be even bigger than he thought. Because the Bible says, Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed. Consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones and the dust. And remember that doubt remover trench? I love the way this translation puts it. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that, isn't that just powerful? See, Elijah knew, and I think it's even bigger. You know, Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God, our God is a consuming fire. Now listen, read the rest of it. May our prayer be that we would be totally consumed by him. You know what Paul said? You know what Paul said? Paul said, you know, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
which is a spiritual act of worship, another translation says. We need to be bold in our prayers so our consuming God can consume. Look at verse number 39. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. When all the people saw it. Joe, when God consumed everything, it got the people's attention. When God consumes us totally and completely, it'll get people's attention. I've told you so many times, the world is not impressed with our religion. But they surely can be impressed with our Savior. Our Savior. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Repentance. Attorney. Now, I'd love to tell you the end of the story is that Israel never drifted away again and they were done with it. Ta-da! And the truth is, that's not the truth. But at this moment in time, God sent revival. And the people fell face down, not before Baal, but before the Lord God. When God consumes everything, it gets people's attention. So what's our conclusion? This. It's simple. So here's the deal. You can follow the loser and lose. You can, you can somehow in your mind rationalize, well, you know, money, power, prestige, materialism, you know... Well, if you follow the loser, you're going to lose. Or you can follow the leader and win. Derek Boys and Doc Holliday won that day. And Elijah won that day. And they didn't win because Elijah was Elijah. Oh, this is fixing to be good. They, they didn't win because Elijah was Elijah. They won because God was God. Woo! Shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. God is God. And, and listen, here's what's cool. The same God is today. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this game ain't over till God calls it over. Don't you give up on the world. Don't you give up on people. Don't you give up on societies. And don't give up on this country. Because God's not done until He's done. And I say it may be judgment and it may be revival. But either way, as I write five times a week, he's got it. He's got it. Would you bow your heads, please? My goodness, thank you so much. Y'all listen so well today. Thank you so much. I really hope this was helpful to you. I know some of it may have been difficult, but I'm telling you, I know your hearts. I know you want to see our community turned around. I know you want to see our state and our nation turned around. You want to see the world turned around. But in these days of Elijah, we've got to believe like Elijah. In these days of Elijah, we've got to believe like Elijah. We've got to believe that God can. Today I mentioned the cross. And religion is not the way to heaven. Jesus is. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And today, we want to share that with you today. If we can share that with you, we want to, you to know how you can have the assurance of forgiveness in heaven. If you're here today, 
and your heart is heavy about the things of Texas. But maybe you don't need to go that far, do you? You're grieved because your marriage is in trouble. Your children have walked away. Your heart is heavy. Maybe you want to come today at the altar and just pray. And say, Father, I, I don't have an answer for this. But Brother Dwayne said, you're the answer. And I'm trusting and believing that to be true. When we pray, let's pray for the sick. But let's dream bigger. Let's go bigger. Let's go bolder and pray for our nation. Pray for the lost. Pray for the ones on the mission field. Pray kingdom stuff as well as physical stuff. So God, I want to thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. Just like I said, Elijah was probably blown away by, by the fire falling and consuming even the water in the trench. Father, this teacher, this pastor is amazed at the way you've spoken your truth. Not me, but your truth and how it applies in our lives today. These are days of Elijah. And I'm asking in Jesus' name for you to rise up and be God. Let us be your people. And would you rise up and be God. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.